Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my special guest today is Raman Sagal. Raman, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Hey, we've it's really been interesting the kind of the pre-chat offline. We we uh, we commiserated with each other on our sad love for a, a football club in England called Newcastle. We we suffered together <laughs> separately for the last fifteen or twenty years. But hey, there may be a, hope on a, the horizon. It was a beautiful moment for me to uh, to meet an American who supports Newcastle United, which is uh, I've lived in the US for a few years, and it doesn't doesn't happen very often so it's been whatever happens with this interview it's been a good day from my perspective <laughs> mate i think there's like three of us in the entire country that even know have even heard of the tune armies so yeah if, if you and i were at a networking event how would you introduce yourself to me so i well i would probably start by asking you questions because that's normally my trick what a great <laughs> as move, I, yeah is that you know you always keep the focus on the on the other person um but if you ask me kind of, you know, who I am and, you know, well, you know, my name is Roman and I'm the uh, the founder of a few businesses, actually, but kind of primarily the founder and global president of a company called Remarketing, um, which is an international design, digital and content agency that very much specializes in helping companies target the pharmaceutical and life science sector. So in some senses, we're a full service agency that you would know kind of any kind of integrated marketing agency, but we're a super niche agency in the sense that we work actually in the supply chain, the B2B technical supply chain of the pharmaceutical and life science sector, which probably before 18 months, no one ever knew anything about. But now everyone seems to have some knowledge because all the vaccines going in your arms probably come from our, <laughs> from yeah. our clients. So just to give you some context to where, where we play. So nobody just wakes up and decides, hey, I'm going to do marketing and kind of in the pharmaceutical space. So walk, take a couple of steps back on that timeline. Let's walk, walk the journey up to, up to present day. Yeah. Um, so my, I did marketing at university and I actually worked for Heinz as in ketchup in, in London and really enjoyed the experience, but found, found it quite frustrating being in a big organization and watching that ideas didn't go coming up with ideas when you're young and thinking they're going to happen overnight and then realizing that actually most of them all of them get canned and never see the light of day and so I ended up working for a marketing agency and this is nearly 20 years ago now and the first client I had was a pharmaceutical manufacturing organization so I had no knowledge of the sector and they had literally were launching uh what's known as contract manufacturing business in the kind of pharmaceutical industry mm -hmm. so you know when you're developing a new drug product the chances are your drug's going to fail so what typically happens is drug development developers will use a manufacturer to make the product or to develop the product or to package the product so it was an organization like that and and just really enjoyed learning about the sector i knew nothing about clinical trials i knew nothing about the regulatory framework and and the kind of global nature of the industry I uh, became very good friends actually with the owner of that business who ended up selling another company and I ended up becoming head of marketing within that business. And uh, they were 
they ended up being one of our first clients and that lady Fiona actually ended up being an investor in my business and it's one of my best friends today it was uh, and it's funny because when we met I always say she was uh, she wasn't the nicest client for a young junior exec <laughs> in an agency she was pretty fierce but it's amazing how these things work out and how relationships build and yeah and I, you know I've spent you know, I think I know the sector probably better than most uh, now having spent two decades in it but you know I'm still very much in love with marketing and entrepreneurship as well so is is this lady like on your team on your site um well she's not really she's almost uh she's kind of an investor but she does some kind of she turns up to the board meetings she helps we are, i have a ceo that runs the business day to day and then you know she she's there at the end of the phone if i'm having a bad day and just want to vent and yeah. so um you know it's interesting i never expected to take an investor or an outside help in, in our journey and it was interesting when we brought fiona in in 2017 i think that it was less about the cash investment and actually more about the ambition so sure. i think she you know she'd built her business and sold it for a lot of money many years ago and she was able to bring a very a lot less of written you know, as agency owners you're kind of always looking ahead at your cash flow and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and god we're going to run out of money if we don't have when a few more bits of business and I think she brought a much kind of bolder look to the business which can take with take bigger risks you know make that big hire let's open an office in the US and you know I can't actually think of one the odd one doesn't work out but on the whole they work out and so it's almost like a confidence boost when you've got someone there almost believing in you because you know I'm sure well to the episodes I've listened on your podcast you know there's always that imposter syndrome with all of us which is like you know we'll think we're going to get found out. No point. doubt about it. Because <laughs> we're all making it up all the time. But, you know, you bring some experience like that of people that have been there and it, it's, it's worth, it really is worth its weight in, in gold. Yeah, I, it, it, how you describe that is so often. I mean, we've done this for almost five years now. And just, just seeing the story, I mean, it is. It, it is like getting up and convincing yourself in the mirror that, yeah, I belong here every day. You know, it's it's like a... You know, you wake up, it's Groundhog Day every day type thing. But uh, so I'm, I'm curious. So before we really drill down kind of in, in your current marketing space, what are some other things you tried that that may or may not have worked out? Just random things. You said you've been involved in some other things. Yeah, no, I do. I have a couple of other things. So I, 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 I actually have a recruitment talent acquisition business as well, which I started, uh, which I founded earlier this year. And that was driven by, on the whole, my experience of, recruitment business has been awful mm. you know um when you ask someone to recommend a recruiter no one ever says oh i've got someone who's amazing like it and it really and what i my experience of it was was actually the customer experience of recruitment agencies is, is pretty terrible and um so we started a company called lead candidate i'm not operationally involved a day to day but it's um, and again, it works in the same sector, you know, the pharmaceutical and biotech sector. It's a very right. specialized business, but we've tried to develop a much more customer friendly and candidate friendly approach, which believes in like giving the candidates and customers an incredible experience that you'd want to come back and you would want to refer people and you'd be proud to be associated, which is, I think, a, a different way of doing it, albeit in a very kind of niche space i mean i suppose years before that i mean i was a waiter for many years and you know my, my wife and i always talk because she was a waitress in a in a coffee shop and i worked in a nice restaurant and you know, there's a lot to be said you know from 16 to 21 working in a in, a, in that environment because you know and obviously i live in the us now but the 
being a waiter in the US is a is really a profession and people make really good money and obviously pre-pandemic and in the UK it's it's less of a profession and more of a kind of what you do when you're at college or, or yeah. whatever. And um but you know I, I look back now my I intrinsically I'm very client oriented it's all about looking up to the customer and that DNA is in our business you know long stock 50 or so staff at remarking and it it does come from that early, those early experiences in my opinion and you know clearly I didn't decide to stay a waiter for the rest of my life but I'm still very grateful for for doing that experience um I did I did do a finance job for about three months and wanted to smash my head up against the wall and <laughs> and left very quickly decided um, i'm not i'm unemployable so i need to boring. work for myself that's right. yeah 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 no i mean i wish i could tell you it was very exciting and i'd done loads of things that i'd failed I'd you know in a sense you know, i'd worked in house i'd worked for agencies and, tr- and then kind of fell into doing my own thing it was opportunistic it wasn't that strategic and you know, it's funny, I look back now and you, have, you see, and probably with yourself, you see entrepreneurial traits in yourself, in like, through, through, I suppose in hindsight, but I never really thought of that when I was, you know, even 15 years ago, that I was going to start my own business and going to do my own thing. Never crossed my mind. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, <laughs> a friend of mine reminded me, I used to sell, um, <laughs> I used to sell like candy and uh, chips and, um and, and sweets and chocolate at school. Of course and, you did. Because my par- my parents, my you know, that's what reminded me of this. And my parents uh, owned a post office and they had a convenience store next to the post office in, in the UK. And I, uh, my, so my mum was my supplier. And <laughs> and I look back now, but man, I knew, my, I knew how to do pricing and use the basic supply and demand. And I ended up selling uh, designer clothes in school as well because a friend of mine owned a designer store and it was at a time in, of life where you know Tommy Hilfiger arrived in the UK, and I had a supplier who could get me Tommy Hilfiger jumpers. You know, he used to sell fifty dollar jumpers in school to 18, 19 year olds, which you know, made, and the margin on that was pretty healthy. So I, I have had weird kind of, uh, I suppose, things that I've done in my career that are probably less um, uh, less traditional <laughs> than you know the typical graduate that goes to college and then goes into a grad role at Deloitte or whatever. Yeah. Well, you said you, you didn't know you were, you kind of had those entrepreneurial traits, but I bet if you look back at some of the jobs you had, you were probably pretty entrepreneurial. So you were probably trying to figure out different and better ways to even do those jobs that you were given, you know, even internally within a company. Oh, it's honestly, it's, it's, I've never heard that phrase, but I'll, I'll tell you what's interesting. The two agencies that I worked with before I set my own up, when I left one of them, the, the guy that owned that agency, I still know today, said to me, before you leave, I'll, why don't you start an agency and I'll, I'll bankroll half of it, I'll, I'll own half of it and I'll, I'll help you. And I said no and went and did my own thing. And then the second person, the agency I worked for, the lady, again, who I still got a great relationship with today, she asked me, before you leave, do you want to go and set up our, our office elsewhere in the country? And you, know, you look back and you think, they obviously saw something in me that oh, I did sure. yeah. And that's not me, that, absolutely not an arrogance or a overconfidence thing it's just a it's funny you know when you're especially when you're younger there is a perception that young people are you know especially these days are blinded by they expect to be ceos after five minutes of experience i certainly wasn't like that and um but it was it's amazing where you and you know you in my position now where i'm responsible for 55 people's salaries or whatever i see flashes of 
that in other people now before. Yep. Like, I, and it's funny, like, I, you know, I look back now going, wow, this, they obviously saw something in me that I just was blissfully unaware of. But you'll <laughs> you know, file that away. And like, if, if you start new initiatives or you start new divisions or whatever, you'll, those are the people you'll probably call on to run those. Or, Absolutely. or start new, you know, even separate, separate businesses for sure. But You're so walk right. us through when, when exactly did, did the raw marketing start? Yeah, so it, it started in uh, 2009 and it was genuinely just me, you know, on a little kitchen in Gateshead, in a kitchen table in Gateshead, which is not the, uh, and it's not, it's not Boston, I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> and it was an opportunistic, it was that Fiona, the company that Fiona sold was a pharmaceutical manufacturing company and the, the managing director there rang me one day and said, hey, do you manage, do you mind, do you mind doing our PR and our web? updates and all this type of SEO on the side. And I said, yeah, sure, that's, uh, that sounds fun. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and yeah. And I remember saying to my wife, hey, I can earn an extra 10, 12,000 pounds here and we can go traveling. And that was the startup strategy. There was nothing beyond that. And then, it, then I ended up picking up a couple of other clients over the next couple of years. And it was really, um, and then 2011, the company I worked for, the one I mentioned before, became a client. And that really was like, when I was really kind of doing my own thing and we grew quite quickly for a few years, but we worked in multiple industries and, you know, we did everything and we just mm -hmm. very chaotic, I call it kind of chaotic growth. Yeah. And um, at, at that point, what I realized, and I suppose one of the key. Yeah, we did, we did an analysis of, um, of our customer base of who we had as, as the agency and kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's something called a client matrix, which I'd recommend to people to use. And I, well, I call it a client matrix. And effectively you put this four boxes and, you know, it's, it's how high maintenance versus profit. So uh -huh. you have high maintenance, low, low profit, low maintenance, high profit, like quadrants, four quadrants. And what, what I worked out was our low maintenance, high value clients. Most of them were in the pharmaceutical space or in the mm. life science healthcare space. And so took the decision. I didn't even know what the word pivot meant there, right? This is, yep. I was just like, right, we're just doing that and nothing else. And that was in 2016, I think. Mm. And that really accelerated um, the kind of the, the trajectory um, of the business because, you know, I'm a big believer in niching down and, and kind of becoming much more, you know, Seth Godin says, you know, be meaningfully specific. And that I'm a massive advocate for that because what happened for us anyway is, you know, tell marketing materials, the way that we presented ourselves, the events that we went to, the way that we recruited, everything became narrow in, in, in a very good way. And the market that we worked in, we became very appealing to that market. Um, and, and, you know, the market we, we operate in today, it's, it's not a market that, you know, the buyers in that market are quite conservative and you, know, you need a track record because <laughs> these are, these are companies that, you know, regulations are high and technical proficiency is high. So for sure, we, we were able to build a track record over time and it really accelerated the growth and led us to international business as well. So, you know, we have clients all over the world and, and it ultimately led me to a, a journey where I moved my family to the U S which is, you know, probably not the typical thing a founder does I, you know I, I can only speak for the founders I know but I think I'm one of the few that decides okay I'm going to go and open the office elsewhere and effectively leave the headquarters and we have two offices in the UK and I left the headquarters to come and set up the business in in the in the UK and uh, in the US and 
and hired a CEO to, to manage the operations of the business. And that, mm. that was a big step at the time. And it's, but it turned out to be a very good one because I was able to hand over all the stuff that we all had to, yeah. Yeah. you know, IT systems, HR and operations and, you know, de even delivery to an extent, I'm, you know, I, I'm not involved in any of those things these days. And it allowed me to free up and, and do what, that I'm probably better at, which is meeting people, which is helping on sales marketing and just being a face of the business. And yeah. And so, you know, we're about 55 people as of today is for marketing. And, you know, we're, um, we're actually this in 2021 were the um, fastest growing comms agency in the UK. So we're a pretty fast growth business. And, um, you know, the sector that we work in is, is thriving at the minute. And, you know, it's, it, it's a, place where we are in a good spot at the minute to take advantage of the market opportunities but but also do it in the right way we're, we're a very ethical business and very proud of the culture and all that type of thing so yeah and you know learning lessons all the time you know it's I, the yeah. amount of mistakes that i've made and i mean I, honestly i could spend five hours just talking to me about all the mistakes <laughs> that i've made um, hey, those but, are opportunities for growth you know yeah, you know you, you said two things a second ago that kind of reminded me that the, you said you know i I um, it kind of passed on things I didn't necessarily like to do. And it's like the perfect storm of, you know, it's good to be the king and, you know, kind of like the e-myth, you know, that yeah, says yeah. you, you want to you know, do what you're, you know, work on your business instead of in it, you know, type Andre, thing. And it moved you out of that, let you have a little different perspective, you know, of, of things that you wanted to put in place. And, yeah. and uh, you know, you can't be the accountant and the baker and the cleaner and the, you know, PR and the accountant or whatever. I, I was going to tell you earlier when you said finance, I, I did it for three months and hated it. In university, I was an accounting major for 15 minutes. <laughs> so yeah, brother, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. That's, that life is too short to do something you hate, you know? Absolutely. I know, no, that's true. My, uh, my CFO is, um, he's forever saying, I'm going to send you the finances, but I'll put it in pretty pictures so you can, you'll actually look at it because, <laughs> and uh, no, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And uh, the, you know, the, the, just going back to the mistakes that you make and the learning opportunities, it's, I think it's probably one of the most underrated parts of what we do and uh, the learnings that we make and on the way. And there isn't a playbook for anything that we're doing and anyone that tells you, so it's different for all of us. There are, you know, the E-Myth's e a great book and there's some amazing scale-up books, you know, great to good and all that, good to great, sorry, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. There's some amazing books out there and I'm a, I'm a real reader, actually. That's been one of the, I think, you know, going back to kind of some of the personal success that I've been able to enjoy. One thing I did in 2016, I read a book called, I think it's called The Miracle Morning, which... Mm -hmm. um, Hal Elrod. And honestly, that book changed, genuinely changed my life and I, I, you know, it's six years ago now and I've, kept to the morning routine for that amount of time and i've read more books i've built a learning habit and it's been a it's genuinely been quite a life-changing habit to build um and I, i'd certainly recommend i think for me what it made me realize is you know we, we go go on this journey as um entrepreneurs just working in the business or on the business whatever way mm -hmm. you look at it and you forget yep. to invest in yourself yeah you just haven't got time and so i you know, I'm a big believer in making time for your own learning and development. And because there's the business grows and most of our business do grow. You've got to, you got to stay ahead of that growth curve. Like you never want, I never want to be like 
the business outgrows me. Mm. <laughs> I just, and so I think yeah. what one lesson I certainly have, you know, for, for learning for any of your, your kind of listeners is like, you know, make time to learn in your own life. And, you know, I have a 20, I learn, I, I dedicate 20, 30 minutes every single day just to learn, which sounds crazy, but you know, it's 10, I read for 10 minutes a day. That's it. Okay. And I listen to one good podcast a day when I'm commuting, when I'm running and mm-hmm. whatever it is. And, you know, so actually, you know, when I was running this morning, I messaged this morning. So I actually, I listened to two of your podcasts when I was running this morning and I picked up some really great stuff from one of your, one of your former guests, which, you know, and that went in my notes and I made some notes of it. It was around customer experience. It was an yeah. uh, Australian guy who um he worked for Deloitte and stuff like that it yeah. was a really fascinating kind of journey that that that, that guy had been on and um, you know and just read one blog a day so every evening I you know mm-hmm. I'll read one blog and it's think how much time we burn on social media and searching yeah. for holidays and all that kind of crap like it's um, and you know I, I would certainly for anyone, anyone listening develop a learning habit and mm-hmm. it will change your life because I mean it certainly has for me and people I know no that is that is so good I I mean, once again, you're kind of, you, you are transitioning us. I mean, it's like a perfect segue into this next segment that I, I really want to kind of drill down on. And that's this, this whole idea around a kind of a mentor moment. I mean, I really want to leave our listeners with one or two things that they could really take away and, and really like you, exactly like you did with the podcast of today, you know, one or two points. Yeah. So what, what are some key lessons that you think you've learned that you really believe would help somebody that's a little further behind you in the journey in this whole startup space? Just give me one or two really solid points. Before I do that, I'm going to tell you that I've, I've, I've got a book coming out where I've written 24 of them. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think, I think just what you just said there is, you know, I've, I've spent, you know, in the entirety of COVID, writing a book called the, the floundering founder and it is you know 24 lessons for you know owners of service businesses that are you know going through the same challenges or feeling stuck or feeling overwhelmed and you know it's very much about people that are at a crossroads moment and trying to work out what to do with their businesses and the, the way i've tried to write the book is kind of to take a step back and look at kind of 12 lessons for your that might help your business and 12 lessons that might help you personally and and if i if i may kind of take a couple of those i think one of the things that we've talked about today is around um on the business side of things of like you know for most of us that own relatively small businesses i think there is huge value in niching down Mm -hmm. and and focusing on less i think you know we we all start on a journey where we try to take it too much on we try to do every service and take every client and I think most of us have to have better clarity over who we exist to serve and learn to say no. I think all of us could probably tell stories of terrible client relationships and, you know, stressful times because a client wasn't very nice or didn't pay a bill or whatever yeah. that is that thing. And I think obviously it's more difficult to do when you're a couple of years into your journey, but if you're starting to get some traction in your business, learning to say no to cl- that pe- opportunities that are not a good fit you know, functionally, functionally, they're not a good fit because they're in the wrong sector or whatever, but also just like personally, like if you meet people that, you know, my CEO rang me a couple of weeks ago and said, we've got this opportunity, but there's something about the guy. I just don't trust him. And I was Mm. like, just say no, like we don't need the business. And it was an easy decision to make. And I think you have to believe there's another opportunity around the corner in those situations. And I genuinely think that 
we have to get kind of better at saying no and, and not chasing the money. And that's a, that's generally a, a terrible thing to do for any of us. And it turns out bad. And, um, and I mentioned, obviously, the learning habit. I think, you know, um, that's, you know, linked closely to that. Another thing that I've found that's worked well in my life is, is journaling. And, and, and not just the habit of writing a journal every day. And, I, you know, I can almost hear the size and rolling of the eyes of people listening because, oh, my God, I haven't got time to journal or whatever. But what's amazing when you read your own journal back, you kind of work out what makes you happy and what makes you sad. I know that's a really simple thing to do. So it's almost like a hack in your own life that, you know, if I watch a movie with my kids on the sofa, it'll be the highlight of my day. And, mm. you know, if I get a pizza and if, you know, if I go for beers with a friend on a Friday night, it'll be the highlight of my day. Like I almost know what, what makes me happy yeah. and I almost I know what makes me sad. And, you know, you know, we all talk about in our in our companies, you know, data capture and, you know, and how do you how do you perform better in the bit? You know, how do you perform better as a business using the data that you've uh, you know that you've you've got and you've measured and you've kind of analyzed but we don't never we never do it with ourselves. you never do it as mm -hmm. a human and so that's that's something that's worked really well there's a great app actually in terms of called way of life which is an app where you can do habit tracking to mm. so say you're for example you're trying to cut down on you know drinking every night or something like that or eating too much chocolate or playing with your kids like good or bad it's just a simple app where you put the habit in and you get a red or a green and honestly like i've kept it for five years and i can see when my trends are going in the wrong direction you know i've got one which says did i speak to my parents today okay you know my parents are in the 70s and 80s ain't going to be around forever and when i know there's three or four red lines in a row i'm like really whatever you're doing you haven't even got enough time to pick up and speak to your mom like yeah but if you know and tim ferris says you know what doesn't get measured doesn't get managed yeah and like so i think that whole whole analyzing ourselves using tools to to make ourselves better i think is, is certainly less and so i don't know if that's helpful in perfect terms of the, the kind of thing you're perfect perfect i mean the two things you talked about were you know niching down and being okay with saying no and the second thing is you know you really do need to be a lifelong learner and as as part of that learning process I mean, it's not just hearing, it's actually putting it into practice, you know, the things that you learn through journaling and just kind of reminders through habit forming and stuff like that. So that, perfect. What a way to kind of wrap us up today. And, and as we, as we are closing day, is there anything that, that I haven't asked you about, or we haven't touched on that you would like to close us up with today? And then maybe just, just let the audience know after that, you know, where's the best place to find you online? Yeah, sure. Well, well, firstly, thanks for thanks so much for having me on the show. It's been a, a real pleasure to speak to you today and obviously find out you're a Newcastle fan, which is <laughs> definitely going to make my journal to one of my highlights today, which I think is... There's actually a yank that knows about the Toon Army. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, um, but, you know, I don't think there's anything you haven't asked me about, you know, what I would kind of end with, with, you know, to that last point you said, the life long learning it's almost like you know i've just you know reached my 40s and i don't think in my 20s i ever would have thought learning was a cool thing to do you know it would have been frowned upon to be especially in the, in the northeast of england you know you don't <laughs> tell people you're reading books and i think you know not only is it a great habit for yourself but anyone that has kids you know uh, someone sort of said to me once you know kids don't do as you say but they do as you do yeah and um you know my kids i've got three three kids and my eldest kid like will come in in the morning and he will read a book and he has directly got that from seeing me do that. And it's quite fascinating. So it's not just about, I think it's, you know, you kind of have to practice what you preach. And that, mm -hmm. that doesn't just go for your kids. I think it goes for your staff and your, as your team as leaders. You know, I, 
I find it really difficult working with leaders that say one thing and do another. Yeah. Like I think you have to set the tone and you've got to lead by example and and all that kind of stuff. So that that lesson kind of goes for business and life. And I would certainly recommend that people, you know, set the right example that you know that they want us that they want to see in in other people. And you know, beyond that, you know, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just look for Roman Segal. You know, which hopefully be in the show notes, and you can spell it, and you'll probably find me. To, and please connect. And um, and if I actually have the domain Roman Segal dot com and there's a website there with the businesses and the book and all that kind of stuff and we do uh, we have added if you go to the website there's a um you can actually download the first 40 pages for free so if you go there um I, you know i certainly encourage people to do that the, the book's going to be out in january the end of january 2022 and you know obviously buy it because it's nice when people buy your books but quite honestly for the type of people that you you reach and the ears that you get to i genuinely hope it helps you and even if you can get one thing from it i'm very grateful for that and yeah and thanks so much for having me on the show i really enjoyed it hey mate just send, make sure you send me the link to the to the download and i'll make sure that those, that's in the show notes as well um or the link to the, the first 40 pages of that i'm curious i appreciate you saying when that book was going to be out it's called the floundering founder that's Is that, the one I remember the, the title found. right that's All it right. excellent well, man, thanks again for just taking time today just to share your story with us, hear your backstory and kind of commiserate with me about uh, the whole Newcastle sadness we've we've had to share for the last 20 years or so, but really just playing your part and just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Vermont Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.